Shopify Masters is powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Just know your lead times for everything and know where there could be delays. Hey, my name is Felix, and I am the host of Shopify Masters. Each week, we learn the keys to success from e-commerce experts and entrepreneurs like you. On this episode, you'll learn the rule of thumb to help you prepare for delays in your supply chain, the requirements to label your product as organic, and why you should encourage comments rather than likes on Facebook. Today, I'm joined by Cameron Sheldrake from Off The Cob Chips. Off The Cob Chips sells tortilla chips made with real sweet corn and was started in 2012 and based out Ithaca, New York. Welcome, Cameron. Thanks. So yeah, tell us a little bit more about, uh, I guess, the product and the idea behind it. Sure. So Off The Cob Chips are the first tortilla chips made with sweet corn. Uh, just like the corn you would boil or eat, or boil or grill and eat right off the cob. Um, it's frozen or canned or eaten fresh. And uh, it's only 5% of corn. Most corn is uh, commodity grain corn, which is hard and starchy. So most chips are made out of that. So we add in fresh sweet corn and it gives them a sweeter flavor and a lighter texture than normal chips. Got it. And where did this idea come from for a product like this? Well, I was actually raised on a small farm in Ithaca, New York, where we grow sweet corn. And uh, we've, my family's been growing sweet corn for three generations. So every summer, um, you know, we'd wake up early and go out and pick it by hand and then and sell it on the road at a little um, little road stand. And uh, I, you know, I got tired of doing that when I was in college studying business. I thought um, there's got to be a better thing. To, there's got to be something to do with all this sweet corn. Um, so I, I developed the recipe. Um, I guess I should say a lot of sweet corn goes to waste. Um, it only lasts a few days, so growing out, you know, half of the, the corn you grow. And that was for something to do with that waste. And uh, I developed this recipe. Um, and I, I started thinking about, you know, how do I turn this into a business? Well, I was, I was studying. And I, I should say I was studying uh, at Babson College, which is a really good school for entrepreneurship. I was learning about other entrepreneurs that had started food businesses. And I, uh, I heard about co-packers, which are essentially contract manufacturers. And that was news to me. I thought if I wanted to start a food company, I had to, um, you know, build my own factory, which isn't the case at all. There's plenty of manufacturers out there who can do it for you. Mm-hmm. So you you um, learned that there were these co-packers out there. Does it make sense for a business of any stage to start working with a co-packer, or does it make sense more at a like a certain size of business? That's a good question, and it really depends um, what kind of food product you're looking at. Um, because smaller co-packers that um, maybe a fit for you know, startups and then there's larger co-packers, which are, um, you know, focused on more established businesses. But I, um, I started talking to them before I really had a business, you know, I just had that concept and I convinced, uh, I convinced them to make a test batch for me. 
And, um, you know, I sent the materials there. And uh, then they, they ran this batch of chips, and they tasted great. Um, and I took that to back to, to Babson College, and so first and started sharing it around and, and talking about, you know, how do you actually take this from just a, a product to a company, which is the whole marketing thing and, um, you know, labeling. So there was a big learning curve there, but I don't think going to the co-packer was the hard part. Uh, mm. If you have a good idea, any a co-packer will, will work with you to develop it. That's what they're in the business of. Got it. Now, how did you find your co-packer? Did you, go, did you have to go through a list of co-packers and then evaluate which one would be best for you and your business? Um, you know, I think they were the only ones that got back to me. Yeah. They may have even been the first ones that I reached out to. Um, they were, they were close. They were the closest one to me. Um, and it actually worked out pretty well. I'm with them currently. Um, we, I should say we we didn't stay with them for the full four years. We jumped around to a few other factories. Um, and then we were actually back at the one we started with. Got it. Now, nowadays, when you, if you were to give advice for someone out there that is looking to go the co-packer route, uh, how would you recommend they evaluate the, the co-packer? Like, what, what should they be looking out for to, to determine if it would be a good fit for their business? Um, I think you really want to make sure that you get along with the people running the company, the, the culture of the, the management team. Um, you know, cause you're going to have to be communicating with these people frequently. And if you're, you know, if you're a, um, very small company still trying to figure things out and they're, you know, a, a large corporation with different departments and stuff, um, it's going to be really difficult to, to communicate with them. But if they're a small family run operation and, uh, you can just call them up and have a phone call and you don't have to go back and forth with all these emails to different departments a lot easier um i've dealt with both actually our second and third co-packers went bankrupt they got bought out Uh, the second the second one that went bankrupt got bought out by a larger company it was a third generation family-run business and it got bought out by this big company and everything started going downhill and um yeah we just didn't really agree on a lot of things um you know, they, they were really big money and they were just looking for products that they could, you know, take to a huge level really quickly with a lot of money behind them. And I didn't have a lot of money behind me, so it, it wasn't really a good fit. So, um, it, things kind of fell through with them, but, uh, with a smaller family run business, uh, that, that deals with a lot more companies, that's the other thing you want to look at. How many companies does this co-packer work with? You know, do they have a few clients that are huge or do they have a lot of clients that are smaller? So obviously you want to look for one that has more smaller clients. Um, if you're just starting out and then you want to look, also look for a company that's willing to grow with you. And that was a big thing with, um, this company. When I first started with them, they thought they had a little capacity to grow. Then one of their other customers started taking off and they didn't have any more capacity. So that's why I had to go somewhere else. Then that company got sold. I was able to go back and um, work with this original co-packer 
and it's been great since then. Mm. So now once you have uh, the side on a co-packer, what kind of, I guess, deal terms do you need to, to, do you need to work out when someone is uh, sitting down and negotiating a deal, a contract with a co-packer? What do you recommend they pay attention to? <laughs> well, um, for me, it's been, it's all really a word of mouth contract. We don't have any sort of written agreement with these guys. Um, mm. You know, it's, Sometimes you'll get a signed non-disclosure, non-compete agreement, which just means that they're not going to share your recipe with your competitors or go market your recipe under their own brand. But I mean, that's not going to stop a co-packer from doing that if they want to. I've had that happen to me in the past. But um, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't have a contract. You kind of just, your contract is the purchase order. You send mm-hmm. them an order, and then they make it for you. <laughs> so yeah. until you really get to a large scale. Um, that's, that doesn't really, um, become relevant. I mean, we have, we have contracts with our suppliers for ingredients. Um, and, but we, we, again, we just really just started doing that and we've been in business for over four years. Um, so at first you really, it's all word of mouth and, um, it's, you know, they, they have to trust that you're going to be able to sell this product They have to believe in you. There's, a certain measure of confidence that they have to express or else it's not going to go anywhere. Right. Makes sense. Uh, now, so once you have the contract or not contract, but I guess in your case, a handshake agreement in place, you have the, the purchase order with them. How do you work with them? You do you just give them your ingredients and then your, I guess your recipe and then your suppliers send them your, your ingredients. Like how does the actual day to day interaction work with these co-packers? Um, that's a good question. Um, it's different with different co-packers. Um, you know, some, some want, uh, to supply different materials, like for instance, boxes, um, or some want you to supply your own boxes. Um, it's pretty common that packaging, uh, the actual bag, it comes on a roll. So it's called film, um, that is supplied by you. That's pretty common. Um, ingredients, it depends. Um, some some ingredients the the supplier the co-packer will supply some you'll supply so depending on these things um, you'll have to deal with shipping um, various materials to your co-packer um, which is like it's it's a little a little difficult to get the best rate figure it all out um, logistics wise you know sending like one pallet. Um, but as you grow and you get economies of scale, um, it starts to become more affordable. But I mean, I spend a lot of my time doing logistics, um, shipping stuff to the factory and shipping stuff out of the factory. Yeah. And one of the more, most frustrating things, or one of the things that I hear a lot of entrepreneurs say is super frustrating is these kind of delays in the supply chain because you have so many, uh, I guess, uh, companies involved. You have your co-packer, you have your suppliers that are providing the, the ingredients. Uh, how do you manage the logistics? Because you don't want, last thing you want is the co-packer ready to take on work, but then one of the ingredients is not ready to come in. And then all of a sudden there's a delay for everybody. Any tips on, on the, that you've picked up along the way on how to manage logistics? things like this when there are multiple companies involved? Just know your lead times for everything and know where there could be delays. Um, if you're buying anything from overseas, expect delays and um, plan based on that. Um, that's a real important issue. 
in the food business, especially when you're dealing with different ingredients that have different shelf lives. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when they're going to expire, you have to use them by a certain point. So you're not only managing the raw materials, but then you're managing your finished goods inventory as well. So, um, yeah, it's really just know your lead times and plan everything out in advance the best you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously you don't big order. So, um, you have to be, <laughs> when you get that order, you have to say, look, I'm going to need three weeks to get it to you. Most, most of the time that's fine. Um, but you have to know if it's going to be three weeks or if it's going to be, you know, six weeks. Cause that makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Now, when you when you you mentioned that you need to recognize that there may still be delays, even though you know your lead times, do you have like a kind of rule of thumb that you follow in terms of how much you kind of overestimate in terms of lead time? Do you double what they give you? Like, how, how do you figure it out? So I I have like a two week lead time with my co packer. So I place an order with them, and it takes them two weeks to make it or less. But they also have to have all the ingredients. Um, now, most of the ingredients take less than two weeks. All of the ingredients, all the supplies should take less than two weeks to get there. So we kind of have a just-in-time model. Um, in the past, we've kind of had to stockpile different ingredients and uh, buy them in, in large quantities. Um, and if you have the money to do that, and you you can, um, it's a lot more cost, but... Uh, uh, yeah, it, it really depends on on what kind of product you're selling and where your costs are. Mm-hmm. Got it. So now that you have the co-packer ready to go and you have the product made, you said you brought it back to the school and then realize you have all of this great product, but now you actually have to turn it into a business, get people to try and buy it. What was the next step once you got the, I guess, the initial order from the, the co-packers? Well... Before I uh, before I placed the initial order with a co-packer, I I had already well the, not the initial order the initial order was just a few you know bags to taste and to share with people. But after that, I took those bags and I actually well I, I did a business and then I got a little bit of funding. I won from Babson College um, their entrepreneurship uh, competition that they hold every year and. Um, and then I actually took those same samples and I went to Whole Foods and I sat down with the buyers in Boston, still a senior in college. And, um, they loved the concept. They loved the, the taste, my story being a sweet corn farmer. Um, and so they were, they expressed support. You know, they said, you get this to market and we'll put it on the shelves. Basically, I guess the turning point, I was like, okay, I needed to invest in the packaging figure out how to do all these things, nutrition facts, uh, labeling, what do I want the package to look like? Um, so I had to do all that yeah. And then before I started selling it. Um, but Whole Foods already said that they wanted it. So I kind of knew that I was going to get a chance to get it on the shelves, but it took me a long time. It took me about a year from that point to actually get it on the shelves at Whole Foods. Hmm. And how did you get in, I guess, in front of Whole Foods? Because you didn't have a company, you didn't have a product yet. You just had your story, which was convincing enough for them to say, yes, we'll take it once you're ready. But how did you get in front of them in the first place? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Whole Foods gets thousands of products sent to them and mm-hmm. requests for meetings. So it's really hard to get space. 
uh, I was lucky enough to um, get this connection through Babson. It was, it's an organization called Youth Trade, and it, it was a partnership foods and uh, the youth empowerment. They basically were trying to create jobs for young people by uh, finding young people that had companies with potential to grow and connecting them to um, uh, companies that wanted to support this idea of conscious. Um, where, so this whole triple bottom line, and, and it was there was a lot of successful companies that were in this this youth trade. It was only twenty or thirty companies, and so we all got to go meet with Whole Foods individually, and they kind of uh, helped us learn the industry and get started. Wow, that's amazing. So even before then, you mentioned that you had to learn about labeling and packaging, nutritional facts, which are you know, things that I think non-food uh, products, non-food entrepreneurs uh, don't have to go through. It, it sounds like a, a much, much uh, another step along the way that you had to take. So when you had to, to do the labeling and packaging, did, did the co-packers help with that at all? Or did you have to go somewhere else to, to have that done? Um, at first, uh, no, my, they, they didn't. Um, Later on, I had a co-packer that did help. Uh, you know, they, they said, this is okay. You can make it. Because we, we redesigned our packaging. And um, they gave us the go-ahead. And uh, it turns out that, um, that it wasn't really, we shouldn't have really said what we said on the packaging. Because basically on the back, uh, uh, we, we said in our story, we describe our ingredients. And we say we use organic corn but you're not allowed to say organic anywhere in the package unless you have a certification. Mm. So they were kind of wrong by telling us that we should have this certification. We should, we, we could say it without having this certification. And it was a, a huge mistake. And we had to, you know, physically put stickers over this word on thousands of bags. So yeah, finding someone who's an expert to review your packaging before you invest and get it printed is a really good idea. Um, and that's a mistake. I think a lot of entrepreneurs make, um, just thinking that they can figure it out themselves. It's a, it's always changing. You know, there's new laws, new labeling requirements. Yeah, I talked to an expert about that. It's worth <laughs> it. Did you end up getting the certification to label your products as organic? No, we couldn't. The thing is, um, the sweet corn is not organic. So it's organic grain corn, but sweet corn is not organic that we uh, add in. So it was just in your story we, itself that said that you weren't specifically talking about the product, you are just talking about it in your story. Yeah, we're like, we use the highest quality ingredients, like organic uh, grain corn, and it's like the, below the nutrition facts, but you're not allowed to do that. So, uh, well, I should say, you, it's not against the law, but UNFI, the largest natural food distributor, um, you know, said they won't take it unless we cover it up. So we have mm -hmm. to sticker each bag for them until we reprint. So we're, uh, we're almost, we're, we're going to be reprinting here pretty soon. So we shouldn't have the sticker again, but it's been a real pain in the butt. Got it. So the nutritional facts now, now what's that process? Like, how do you get nutritional facts for your, your food based products? That's something that the co-packer will, should create for you. Um, because it's it's their liability, really, if they you know produce something that's 
labeled inaccurately in terms of nutrition facts and any other sort of certification. So they want to make sure that it's, it's labeled correctly. Got but it. they're not always the, you know, the best expert. I see. So once you had all the labeling, the packaging, you had the product ready to go, what was next? Like, How did you actually get people to start buying the product? Okay, so we had almost every. We talked about distributors yet, but Whole Foods introduced me to a distributor who, you know, would... Um, so once I had that, which was... I, you know, it, it hit the shelves. And I was I graduated college. I was living in Boston. And so I just went around to Whole Foods um, and set up sampling events and gave out chips in the store and talked to people about my product and uh, tried to get people to buy it. And it was really way harder than I thought it was going to be. Um, my product was too expensive. I was charging $4.39 for a four ounce bag. And I thought, oh, people will pay more because, you know, it's a higher quality chip. Uh, not even at Whole Foods, you know, you have to, your price has to be close to your competitors for people to even consider buying it. If you can't expect people to pay more for something that that's a new product, you really can't. Now I want to talk really quick about the sampling event. So once you had this uh, deal, this with Whole Foods already, was it pretty easy to just walk into any Whole Foods and set up um, a sampling event with that store? Like, what, what, what? How did you go about arranging that? Well, in the beginning, in the beginning, it was um, pretty easy because they all were really psyched about this. Entrepreneurs, you know, I was only like 22 at the time, so. Um, I was pretty charged. I'd come into the store and just uh, be vomiting corn passion all over everyone. <laughs> and maybe I'd sell a case, you know, I'd be there for a couple hours and sell a case. So I was, I wasn't even paying for the gas to drive to the store. Like I was losing money quick. Um, so I did that for like, um, I don't know, six months and ran out of money and had to move back home to upstate New York. Um, but, yeah, I, I, it was it was easy to get the demo set up. It's a lot harder to sell the chips. You know, mm. on the weekends it's busy, so you want to go there during the weekends. But then there's other brands that are competing for the same spots, so you have to like schedule it a month in advance. And then you have to call the store and make sure that they order the product on time. Um, and then just you know be there and not be shy and get people to try it. Um, which seems like it would be easy, but sometimes people like aren't hungry when they're walking through the grocery store. Mm -hmm. So what, what have you learned about that? Like what have, how, how have you gotten better at getting people to, to try uh, a brand new product? I think a lot of it is just, a lot of it is sales. You just have to, um, be bold, you know, sell your product to people. Don't shy away. Um, and then be able to read people. Um, you know, you can tell if, if someone is shy or if someone's not interested, but, um, you know, you, you really have to just be able to, to judge, is this person potentially going to buy it or not? Like, so you don't waste all your time, but then when you see some, essentially, a, a, a buyer, you sell like health. Um, but it, really it was about, it, it wasn't about just learning how to sell. It was about learning how to develop the product and getting feedback learning okay 
the price is too high. Okay. Uh, maybe it could use a little more salt or the packaging isn't working. So, you know, we learned all those things. We went back to the drawing board, changed the packaging. Um, that's what Gemma's, you know, we sell hundreds of bags in a few hours. Wow. So talk to us a little bit more about this. Let's start with the, the pricing, the the four or so dollars for, for the four ounce bag. Did Whole Foods at any point say, hey, this is, you know, much more expensive. We don't think that this will move off the shelves. Did they give you any feedback on that? Oh, yeah. I mean, Whole Foods knew it. The customers knew it. Uh, the distributor was the problem. So um, once you set your pricing with a distributor, it's really hard to lower it it's a lot easier to raise it. So you're better to start lower and raise it if you have to. But, um, so I tried to lower my price several times and they just didn't pass through the, the price reduction. Um, so it, <laughs> it's really difficult, uh, like to say, okay, my product's not selling because it's too expensive. So I need you to trust me and just lower your price, make less money on it because you're going to sell more volume. They're like, we don't really think that, that's why it's not selling. Mm. Um, so, you know, so we were selling now for two ninety nine for a four ounce bag. And like I said, we can sell a hundred bags at a demo where when we first started at four thirty nine, you know, we could sell like 12 bags, maybe 24. So how did you end up convincing the distributor to, to, uh, trust you and lower the price? Um, well, it just took time really. It's about whole food the schedule and they don't, they don't make changes instantly. It happens like once a year. Um, so we, we lowered it, you know, the price still isn't right there. It's still like three ninety nine, and we're only in one whole foods now. Um, they all stopped ordering because it wasn't selling. Um, and now I'm trying, I'm trying to get it back in there at two ninety nine a bag. Um, but you know, it's difficult once something, if you don't, if it's not a success at first, they don't really want to give you a second chance. Mm, got it. Now the the packaging you mentioned that you changed that too and had a big impact. What was the the what was the packaging like prior to the change? And what what changes you make to to improve the I guess conversion? Yeah. So the the packaging was a photo of my farm, like this this cornfield, and then there was superimposed over it this hand drawn corn cob that was like rainbow color, and I had like commissioned this artist to do it and the text was like blue and orange and it was really hard to read um and then there was chips coming up out of the bottom so you could kind of tell it was chips but it was like what is going on there's way too much um way too much going on so we changed it um when my girlfriend started helping out with the business she went to school for fashion design and um she just has a really good design sense and we we got this idea to make like a gingham, um, you know, like a checkered blanket mm-hmm. sort of pattern. Um, so it's like bright green and white checks with a big yellow corn cob in the middle. Um, and it's really catching, it catches your eye like off the shelf a lot more than other chips. Almost. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, a summertime picnic, mm-hmm. corn on the cob. Um, so we started to think more about how do you um, develop a, a brand you know that makes sense? The packaging has to relate to what the product is somehow, and 
just having a picture of a cornfield wasn't enough. Right. So once you were, once you, I want to kind of get the timeline down because you, you not only were selling into Whole Foods or working through Whole Foods, you also had a Kickstarter campaign and also had an appearance on Shark Tank. So talk to us through, well, talk, I guess, about the Shark Tank experience first. So you came in, I think, looking for $100,000 or 15%, didn't up, end up leaving with the deal, but talk to us about the experience. Like, what was it like to, to get on a show like that? It was so intense. I was not expecting it to be so fast. You know, they're all shouting questions at you simultaneously and they're all really smart. So it's almost hard to process everything at once. And then to um, decide who do you talk, who do you respond to? So I I just wasn't ready for that part of it. Kind of just like a deer in headlights. But um, yeah, I mean, you, you, to prepare for it, you um, just know, everything about your business and your numbers. Cause they really do grill you. You don't see it when you're watching the show, but there's a lot of really tough questions that they ask you about your business and your numbers. And they want to make sure you know how you're spending your business's money and what's, what's really going on. And, um, yeah, I was there for like 45 minutes filming and they edit it down to like three minutes. Mm-hmm. So it's really, there's a lot that, that you don't see, but, um, yeah, they they were they were intense. They were fun. Um, they had really big egos, and um, I, they were nice. You know, I liked I really liked Mark and Damon. Um, they seemed really down to earth, and like they really just wanted to kind of give me some positive feedback. Um, and then Mister Wonderful was just way more rude than I expected. <laughs> he was like on his phone texting; he wasn't even listening to me. Like he told me. Um, you know, he misunderstood the number of years I had been in business and how much money we made. It's like, well, you weren't listening. So yeah. Don't be rude to me. So leaving the, the tank, uh, what, any, any lessons or any, you said that, you know, Mark um, gave you some, uh, not, they wanted to share a little bit about his, his business experience and share that with you. Any, any things that you took away from that experience that you decided to implement into your business immediately? Well, the packaging, Lord gave us some really good feedback on our packaging. So we went, we went back and we did another revision to our packaging. Um, she said, sweet, the word sweet corn isn't big enough. You need to make it bigger. So we, we took that advice and it's a lot easier to read the word sweet corn now from a distance. And I think it's that, um, it makes it easier for people to, you know, find our product in the crowded space. So that was, mm-hmm. that was definitely one thing. And then Mark's just general words of encouragement really, I think went a long way. He, uh, he basically just said like, you're hustling keep at it. Uh, you just have to keep doing that for a lot longer and you're going to be successful because this is good stuff. That, that must've been awesome to hear after the, the, the grilling. Um, now what was the impact of like that, the traffic or, or the sales do if you remember after the show aired? Well, it was huge. Um, I, I don't know exactly how many visitors we had, but, um, we, had doubled our sales. So leading up to that point, we had sold like $40,000 worth of chips and we doubled sales like within a month, um, mostly from online orders. Um, so it was really, uh, overwhelming the response we got. I wasn't expecting that much. Um, 
And then, you know, the next month we get, did it again. So it was, it was really overwhelming. We, we couldn't keep up with it. Like we literally didn't have enough capital. We, we couldn't finance another production. Um, so we had to wait a little while, you know, we had to wait till we got some checks in the mail. So it, so, so we could buy ingredients to make another batch of chips. So we ended up having to make a lot of these people that ordered after, after shark tank, we made them wait for like a month. Um, and that, that they were really unhappy. You know, we had a lot of people cancel their orders. We ended up giving everyone like 10% off just because we had to make them wait. Mm. Now, you also mentioned that one of the keys to your marketing is, are through, is through email marketing. So tell us a little more about that. Like, What is your email marketing strategy for your business? So we like to um, send out really nice photos, uh, recipes, or holidays. We'll, we'll do like a photo shoot with our product and like um, a recipe, some way you can share it that's somehow seasonal, um, you know, just a sale. Usually when we do an email blast, we include us, we, we do like a 20 to 30% off sale just cause people love sales and that works really well for us. Um, you know, cause we have a large list of customers that have bought this over the years and, um, it's, it's a little more expensive than your normal chips. It might be something that you buy and then you don't have it for a while, but then when the sale comes along, you buy it again. So, um, yeah, absolutely sales in, in the emails. Um, and then beyond that, we have found that the type of sale matters. So, you know, if you say, use this discount code to get 30% off, it is nowhere near as effective as if you actually have a hundred dollars, uh, um, strikes through like, and then in red and then below it, $70. Um, so there's an app that you can use to do that. Um, and we've started using it like every time cause it works way better than the discount code. It's called simple sale. And mm. I would definitely recommend that. So you're saying that rather than just saying like 20% off, tell them the exact dollar amount that they're saving and compare it to how much they would have paid without the sale. No, no. I'm saying instead of saying in the email or instead of just using a code, so they go to your website, their product says a hundred dollars and then they check out and then they enter a code and then they get, they get to see that it's $70, not a hundred dollars. You want them to see that it's $70 right when they go to your website and they see mm -hmm. the product. Got it. So you want it to be front and center. Yeah. You want to make sure the actual dollar value on your website store changes when you do a sale. Got it. Because you don't want them, you don't want to have to wait until they get all the way to the end before they see it because they, who knows, they might have dropped off by then because they don't see that sale that they came for. Makes sense. Exactly. So you also, you mentioned that you, you don't just send these kind of promotional emails. You also send them emails with, you know, useful content like recipes, photos. How did you know to, to create these kind of emails and how did you know what kind of content to put in them? <laughs> Good question. We spent a lot of time trying to develop stuff. I mean, uh, we're always looking for recipes to pair our chips with. Um, and it's really anything that's happening in the business that we think these customers are going to care about. Like we just got into Whole Foods in California and a bunch of other stores. So we sent an email blast to all the customers that have bought the chips that live in that region. And we're like, Hey, we're now available in these stores. 
check us out, take a photo of the chips and enter to win a free case. So, um, and then giveaways, that's a big thing. Uh, not necessarily with email marketing, but more on like Facebook and Instagram giveaways are pretty successful. Mm-hmm. And what, what do you include in these giveaways or what do they have to, well, you mentioned that the, the, you can win a free case of, of the, of the chips. What, uh, what do they have to do to enter these giveaways usually? Usually it's just like, like this status and comment with something like, um, you know, comment with what you're going to do over this Thanksgiving weekend or comment on tag your Valentine or something to get them engaged and write. Cause if they write a comment on it, it on Facebook, it actually makes it way more viral than if they just mm-hmm. like it. So, um, yeah, anything it's usually like specific to a holiday or something. Um, and then sometimes, you know, we'll do it for no reason. Just give it away. Like we've got some extra inventory we got to get rid of. Let's do a big giveaway. Um, and it just gets people talking about it on, on social media. I mean, you can't rely on it, but from time to time, it's a good way to, um, you know, keep your customers, keep, keep your branding your customers' minds. Mm-hmm. And jumping back real quick to email marketing. Uh, how often are you sending these, these emails out to your, your customers? That's a good question. Um, probably about once a month. Um, you don't want to bother them too much, but I mean, you have an email for a reason. So they, they, they want to receive your content and, um, you know, you don't want to abuse it, but you, you don't, you, it's a really useful tool if you use it right. And we just started doing this like less than a year ago. And I wish we'd been doing it from the start. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned uh, Simple Sale as one of the apps that you use. Any other favorite tools or apps that you use, either on Shopify or outside of Shopify, to help you run the business? Yeah, we use Mailchimp for the email blasts, and uh, we use well, Mailchimp basically is just a you know a easy way to to keep a, a large number of emails organized and then to send them um, marketing campaigns. Um, they, I think they limit your account to like 2000 emails, um, for, but it's free up to 2000 emails. Mm-hmm. So it's a pretty useful tool. Uh, and then, uh, for order fulfillment, we like to use shipping easy. Um, and I know Shopify does fulfillment now, but we've been using shipping easy since before Shopify did fulfillment. And, uh, it's just a really useful tool, uh, for, you know, taking your order and then, turning it into a label buying postage um and it makes it really easy to see what the cheapest postage is uh be it usps priority mail or usps parcel post or ups ground and you can just click through and um if you have a lot of orders it makes it really easy to uh stay organized and manage your your day-to-day shipping um and then we also like to use um amazon so Amazon fulfillment by Amazon. We keep a lot of our inventory in Amazon's warehouses and we sell it on amazon.com. But then we can also go into their back end and say we get an order to California. Well, it's really expensive to ship a case of chips from upstate New York to California. You know, it'll cost $20, $30. So I go on Amazon and I can send it from their warehouse. So having a fulfillment system you know, outside of just you shipping it yourself, um, was 
really crucial for us. So you're using fulfillment by Amazon for for fulfillment, even for sales outside of Amazon. Yeah, for select sales. So sales that are expensive for us to ship. Mm. Makes sense. Any other apps or tools that you use? Um, yeah, I think I think that's uh, that's pretty much it. Very yeah, cool. we're not too not too high tech. We run everything on Excel. Yeah, I can't imagine what that that spreadsheet looks like. Um, so, you know, thank you so much for your time, Cameron. So, offthecopchips.com is a website. O f f t h e c o b c h i p s dot com. Uh, what do you What do you have planned for for the future? Where do you want to see the business be this time next year? Well, we we would hope to uh, still be in all the stores where it, we're in now and be selling really well, and maybe have a second flavor there too, and uh, probably be in uh, some a lot more stores in, in new areas. Awesome. Thank you so much again for your time, Cameron. Thank you, Felix. Here's a sneak peek of what's in store for the next Shopify Masters episode. So it is actually a great business because you're, you're making 97 point something percent per sale. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.